Hello there, you're listening to the Acts 29 Europe podcast. Conversations on church planting in Europe. My name is Steve Robinson. I'm a pastor of a church in Liverpool. And along with my co-host Dan Steele from Oxford, we want to hear from different guests about what God is doing in different contexts in the vast expanse of Europe. To be better informed and encouraged to know how to be praying and to, under God, plant more and healthier churches that thrive and flourish as they take the message of Jesus into a world that needs to hear him. Hello there, Mark, and you are listening to the Action on Europe podcast, Conversations on Church Planting in Europe. My name is Dan Steele, and I'm here with my co-host, Steve Robinson. Uh, what's been going on with you, Steve? How are you doing? I'm doing okay, mate. I'm doing all right. Cracking yeah. on, cracking on getting closer to the summer looking forward to it trying to do myself a little bit of exercise so i can get myself ready for the don't embarrass myself in front of my kids you know when we're trying to get into a pool and stuff <laughs> i've been sitting down i've been sitting down so much in lockdown i've been trying to uh, get myself sorted since we've come out of it so um yeah i'm, I'm doing okay thank you I- I remember at the start of lockdown, you were were you not running every day, or were you were doing something every day anyway? Oh, mate, I was smashing it. So the first lockdown, I was training every day. I was lifting weights. I was running. I was doing everything, and that was that was the summer lockdown. So like yeah, the winter yeah, lockdown, yeah, yeah. I went for let's get a bit more meat on me, so I can keep nice. myself warm. That's my philosophy <laughs> for it. <laughs> so I've got to fight it off again. There was a boxer called Ricky Hatton. He was a bit, a bit of a hero of mine. And he would box, and he, he, when he was training, he'd be super fit, and when he wasn't training, he wasn't. So that's sort of the philosophy I've taken. We, we can call you Ricky, that's good. Um, listen, mate, tell us a bit about Liverpool. I mean, I've, I've been once or twice, and obviously Liverpool is famous for all kinds of things. It's famous apparently for, is there a football team or something? I'm not sure. Um, hmm. you've, got, you've got bands like Beatles. Um, we were just talking beforehand, it was the capital of culture in 2008. Um, tell us a bit about what Liverpool's like. You've lived there most of your life. Um, yeah. Yeah I've, like. yeah, I've actually lived in Liverpool all of my life. In fact, I've pretty much stayed within about a two-mile two mile sort of area yeah. uh, where, where I've, I've lived. And uh, yeah, Liverpool is... The interesting, the way I describe Liverpool is Liverpool's a great city. I love it um, to bits. I'm proud of where I come from. But Liverpool, in the main, is a is a is a... Is a is an area that has lots of difficulties and there are pockets of nice areas. And that's not to decry my own city in any way. That yeah. Historically, it's a, it's a northern city that has been affected uh, through lots of different things that happened in the 70s and the 80s. Port City uh, and was a thriving port for many, many years. And then obviously in the 70s and 80s, that sort of died a death. And only because of the football and only because of the music, I think Liverpool's survived uh, economically, definitely in different areas. And because of that, um, there are lots of difficulties. So poverty rate is quite high in lots of areas. Fatherlessness is is quite high as well. And um, there's been a lot of uh, improvement since the capital of culture in terms of uh, the aesthetics of our city. So Liverpool city centre is beautiful. It's a beautiful place, um, right on the waterfront. Lots of lots of things going on, and it's improving. But there are lots of difficulties as well. I live in an area, a large area called Wavertree, and uh, in the in, in parts of where I live, has some of the highest rates of like fatherlessness and uh, and, and difficulty and crime. 
uh, as high as any city in 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 the the UK. So Liverpool is a great place, but like any big cities, lots of difficulties. And like a lot of northern cities, there are a number of difficulties that bring challenges for church ministry. That bring challenges for church planting. Um, but I love it, mate. It's great. What comes with northern cities is big character and. Uh, it's a joy to live here and joy to uh, to minister to the people, my people. Nice. And speaking of big character, do you want to introduce our guest? I'd love to introduce our guest. We have with us Ian Williamson. Ian, uh, from Middlesbrough. Now, if people think my accent is interesting, wait till you hear this guy speak. Ian, great to have you with us. Yeah, good to, good to be with you both. How are you both doing? I'm doing well, thank you. All right, all right. Yeah, we're doing well. So, Ian... So I'm from a northern city. Now, from your perspective, you're like, no, no, Robbo, Liverpool's a southern city because Middlesbrough <laughs> is right up there, man. It's right up there. But before we start talking about Middlesbrough and what you're doing there uh, with your church and with Acts 29, could you tell us, for those who don't know you, a little bit about yourself, your family, uh, a little bit about your upbringing and how you became a Christian? That would be great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, like we've said, my uh, background is I'm a northerner. Bit like you, Steve. I've never left uh, Middlesbrough. Uh, I, I grew up in a nice country place. That the northeast of England isn't all industrial. Where I grew up originally mm. was uh, in the countryside. It was a nice little village place called Broughton, and I had mm. a, a typical uh, Beano character type upbringing. You know, boys making catapults and catching utes yeah. and dogs. And it, and it was a lovely life. But when I was about eight, my mum and dad split up. And uh, we lost the house and the car, and uh, we ended up moving to a council estate. And I didn't really fit in. Uh, I, I was a posh boy. I didn't know many swear words. And <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I was a country bumpkin. So it was hard adjusting, uh, getting bullied. And that happened right throughout my school life. We moved every two years. We never stayed in wow. the same estate for very long. Uh, we wow. moved quite regularly. And then when I got about 16, uh, I had a sh sudden growth spurt and uh, I was getting bullied one day and I ended up fighting back for the first time and, and, I, and I realised that I could defend myself and I, I went from being a, a, a little victim to a, a, a big bully basically and uh, driven by fear. I often was paranoid about people attacking me so I'd, I'd, I'd get in there first and the more fights I had, the more afraid I was of people looking for me in revenge and it was just a vicious circle of of, of fear and violence uh, I, I tried to mask my fear with drugs and alcohol uh, and every job I did seemed to have me around <laughs> drink drugs and violence which wasn't helpful uh, managed pubs worked as a nightclub bouncer and I, I was 28 year old uh, full of fear full of addiction desperate to be loved and to love but didn't really know what that meant and uh, I had an argument with my mum over a pizza <laughs> and then I pulled out a kitchen knife and threatened to kill myself, which was uh, surreal mm. for my, my mum and stepdad and brother who was watching, thinking, how can you be suicidal over a pizza? But obviously that wasn't the issue, was it? That was The issue was my addiction and, and my, my mental health was down. I was self-harming. and uh, For the first time ever, I shared my fears, my addictions, my struggles with my mum, who was a Christian. And she told me that Jesus could help, which infuriated me. I was like, what are you going to do? Write me a check. And uh, she said, I don't know, son. I don't know what he can do. But 
he's helped me, he's, he's helped you, your stepdad, Alan, and can I just pray for you? And she prayed for me, and that started me thinking. I, I reflected on my mum's life, and I'd always believed the gospel, but I didn't understand it. And over mm-hmm. a period of weeks, I, I was thinking and praying, and just one night it was like a revelation for my whole life. I felt like a victim. I justified my behaviour on being raised in a single-parent home. I'm, statistically, I'm not as bad as other people from an unparent family on a council estate because most of them are in prison, so I'm doing all right. And uh, For the first time ever, I realised that the things I'd suffered as a child weren't an excuse for my behaviour as an adult, and that actually my biggest problem wasn't what other people had done, but was my sin. And I, I, it was just a revelation that I was a sinner and I needed forgiveness. I thought Jesus mm. was like a genie in a bottle at one point that he just made your problems go away. But my biggest problem was my sin and hell. And I realized that that, that, that could go away. And I just cried out and, and I said, Lord, I'll follow you and uh, I'll save you. I, I want to change and you're the only thing worth changing for. And that was the start of a very long journey of sanctification. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So uh, tell us, fast forward to where you are now and the church that you're planting. How, the, how did you get into becoming a pastor and planting the church? Yeah, so it, it, I had to move towns to find a church. Uh, I, I moved boroughs, went into a place called Stockton. Hmm. I was counselled by two guys, a, a bloke who worked for Team Challenge and... Uh, another businessman helped me get a flat and disciple me met me on a morning and an evening and, and prayed with me i was part of a large church and uh they loved me and served me and and helped help me serve in the church that basically looked after me and helped me work through some of my addictions and then i got married and i moved to a place called red car and uh yeah there was no real churches where i was that offered discipleship uh, that understood me. Uh, I, I shared with people s- some of my struggles and the thought I, <laughs> I needed deliverance from evil spirits. And uh, there was no no mention of of, of like personal liability for sin for uh, for sanctification. I didn't understand what happened. Is every week I was going at the front and rededicate my life to Jesus, thinking I kind of prayed right the first time because I'm still doing this, or I'm still doing that. And, yeah, struggling because I loved the Lord and, and I wanted to save him, but I thought, how can I be a real Christian? And when I was sharing my sins, people were shocked and appalled. And uh, Yeah, so I stopped going to church for a while and uh, I, I met a, a pastor of a small church a couple of miles south of us and uh, for the first time he taught me what would be classed as Reformed Theology. I'd come from a very charismatic background, which didn't really teach you to to read the Bible much and uh, pretty much rely on the Spirit, pray and see what God's telling you to do. Now, let me just say that the church that I went to that was charismatic was fantastic at supporting and loving me. And and if it hadn't been for my first church that discipled me, I probably wouldn't have got off the drugs. There There were weak in areas of the Bible, so I'm not saying... What I found is I've then gone to reformed churches that were great on the Bible, but very poor on discipleship and uh, and loving me. So I'm not saying one's better than the other, but I was just lacking at that point good discipleship within the Word of God. And, and this pastor that I met took us as a family into his home. I watched him be a godly father and a husband, 
And I thought, wow, if I'd have had this five years ago, I'd have probably not struggled as much as I did. So I had discipleship as a single man, but as a husband, I, I didn't get that. Uh, yeah. I, I grew up without a dad, so I didn't know how to be a, a secular father, never mind a godly father. So I thought what we need to do is provide discipleship like this for the lads on the council estate. No one's reaching them with the gospel, and if they are, there's no one there to disciple them. So I set up a charity called 68.5, which specifically worked with fatherless uh, young men and, and boys and then supporting the families. And uh, somebody had said to me, what will you do if people get saved? Like, where will you send them? And I was like, well, wouldn't that be a wonderful problem to have? Uh, Absolutely, I, I yeah. have that problem. Let's see if people get saved first, then I'll worry about it. And about two years later, we started seeing a bit of salvation. I thought, wow, this is a problem. <laughs> contacted the FIEC and Acts 29 and said look we, we need a church in Middlesbrough and they said oh we're, we're aware of that but uh, like no one will come <laughs> if you want to see a church planted you're going to have to plant it yourself uh, and I was like well wow. where do I start with that but that started me on a, on a journey I spoke with other planters uh, I said to them, look, I need advice. I don't know what I'm doing. Most of them said, neither do we. <laughs> Just crack on. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I remember speaking to Diane and he gave me this like lecture for about half an hour. And he said, oh, bruv. <laughs> and he's well <laughs> Just do it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, so that brought encouragement and frustrations because he was our green as grass I'd been a Christian a few years I'd only been off the drugs a couple of years no experience in pastoral ministry I'd done a few bits and bobs Mm. working as a community chaplain and as a prison chaplain but not actually pastoring the church full time Mm. I didn't have a clue about constitutions fortunately because I'd, I'd set up a charity before I had a vague idea of charity law but that started a journey of what was exciting because we had new converts and 20 people coming to a, a gathering in the house to then becoming a church was a big step up along with the legal ramifications, finances and, and things like that. So, yeah, it was pretty much uh, what led me into church planting, first of all, was a need and a zeal for Jesus and the lost. But secondly, I think a lot of arrogance and naivety. <laughs> 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 yeah, a, a, mix, a mixture of, of of guidance by God and and yeah, immaturity and that and a lot of arrogance. Yeah. If I'd have known now what what I, if I'd have known now when I was planting, I wouldn't have planted that way. <laughs> <laughs> In your you're involved with church in hard places, um, yeah. and we can see even from your answer there why you're you're involved in that, and the, yeah. I'm sure the, the good that it does. Tell us a bit about what it is. Tell us, yeah, tell us big picture what it's for, but also then what does that mean week by week for some of the people in the cohorts? And if you're going to sell it to people listening in, I know there'll be people listening in who are keen on it. Um, so I've had conversations with people about it. Then, then yeah, church in hard places is everything that I never had. It is. Yeah. Uh, support, advice, training, uh, partnership. It is, it, it's exactly what uh, somebody in that position needs. The majority of pastors' stories who planted in heart place are similar to mine. That They've done it because they've had a heart and a zeal and, 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 and saw a need and knew that nobody else was coming, basically. So they've, yeah. they've gone on and done it. And The problem when you do that is 
you feel alone, you feel isolated. And when you feel alone and isolated, that's when you start listening to your heart instead of listening to the godly advice or the Bible. And yeah, yeah. yeah my biggest problem on my own was soon sin crept in and my motivations mm. went for the Lord. So we also bring a bit of accountability in as well. Mm. So if someone's sat whinging, we, we try and give them a, a cuddle if they need a cuddling encouragement or a kick up the backside of the knee to <laughs> the backside. But what also helps is we realise I, I felt sorry for myself and thought I had it hard. And now I'm trained with some lads in West Africa. And I'm like flipping egg, I don't know nothing. We're not in a mm. hard place. We've got it an easy street. So it also yeah. puts your, your your own life and ministry into perspective. And uh, I think it's very, very humbling. So I think my yeah. problem was I thought I was in the worst place in the world <laughs> and I was the most mm-hmm. isolated pastor with the most difficult job. And then working with some of these guys around the world, you realise how blessed we are and how much support we do have. So, uh, but also we're encouraged by the stories. We're seeing God move where in, in places that are so socially and economically deprived, uh, mm-hmm. we're seeing God do miraculous things. People are getting saved. Uh, churches are growing. Uh, pastors are being trained and supported financially and uh, with resources. So for me, I'm part of a, a family of, of church planting churches uh, across the world, which we're part of the FIEC in the UK, which is good and encouraging. But yeah. some of the brothers I've met around the world, the encouragement I get from them can only come through being part of this network. So yeah, that's oh. probably the main benefit of being part of church in our places. Uh-huh. Ian, could you tell us a little bit about what the cohort actually looks like in terms of, uh, you know, involvement for somebody that might want to get involved in that? Yeah, so my main role is work with the guys in the UK and English-speaking Europe. So what we do is we have a monthly call. Uh, we will discuss questions. So basically what we're trying to do is, is make assessments and uh, training easier for these guys who maybe haven't done the traditional route into ministry. Uh, many applicants within Acts 29 would have been to seminary or trained within a local church. A lot of our guys like myself are getting trained by themselves online and hitting online resources. So when I came to face the assessment, wow, you, you assessed me, Robbo. I was fuming with it. What, what a waste of time. This is for me and this is the relevant lesson. <laughs> I've been doing this for five years and you're assessing me. <laughs> I remember that. I remember it. it was good fun, mate. As we look back, it was good fun. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think having people like me go through the assessment maybe showed that it wasn't uh, a one-size-fits-all and, and church in our places. Their assessment now is we still have the same uh, assessment questions, but we do it over a period of a year in the advanced classes or two years in, in the normal track where we will look at each individual assessment question. We'll discuss it as a group mm-hmm. online. Then we'll write a paper and, and send it in. We've got a WhatsApp group where we can ask each other questions. But also, I think that the best things we can have, if, if it wasn't for COVID, would be the intensives, where the hope is to meet once or twice a year, uh, do some intensive training, but also have fellowship and encourage one another uh, and remind one another that we're, we're we're in a worldwide mission together. We're not on our own in a tiny, insignificant place, but we're part of a Sorry. bigger church uh, that is that is moving throughout the world. So, yeah, encouragement, uh, training, and uh, friendship, mm. I think, is, is the biggest thing we offer. 
It's great. Right. Why do you? Th- why is it? Um, now you've already touched on it that actually a lot of the guys who were involved in planting churches or leading churches in areas that would 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 be perceived as being hard places, and there's a spectrum to that, as you've suggested as well, for, and even from your own experience, and you know my experience as well, and 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 even Dan who lives in Oxford, there is there are difficult places in 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 Oxford, yeah, yeah. big time difficult places in Oxford for people to reach. Why is it? You know, I'm going to throw this question in. Why why is it? Do you think historically? Those sorts of places have been places where we haven't gone to go and plant churches in. It's hard. <laughs> it's simple as that. People don't want to live uh, around yeah. deprivation. They don't want to be. Uh, yeah, it's frightening. It's frightening. I, I don't want to be here. I'm, I grew up in Middlesbrough. My whole life, I spent trying to get out of Middlesbrough. So then, mm. called to, to plant a church here. That's a, a massive battle for me on a daily basis. It, it's hard. Mm. Uh, it's a blessing in some sense being part of the community I grew up in because it gives me some validity with people. But mm. also doesn't because people know what I was like, so they're like, oh, hypocrite. Or I, mm. I have fears of some people uh, around here, believe it or not, don't like me. <laughs> <laughs> so do you know what I mean? The, the, people re- have, have long memories, don't they? So it, it, it's tough and... Uh, People have aspirations to, to, to move on, don't they? Mm. Uh, my, my assistant, well, he's my associate now, Nathan, he came and joined us, and we couldn't afford to pay him. We helped him get through a, a master's degree, but basically he's he's not met anyone because there's no one to meet, so he's still single, so he, he's, he's sacrificed finance. It's only this year, after five years, that he's actually part of a pension plan. He doesn't own his own home. He's got two degrees, and, and everyone's thinking, right, you've played at helping the pool for a couple of years. When are you going to get a proper job? So people don't see our type of ministry as valid. It's a stepping stone often onto something better mm. and bigger. Uh, it's a step down, if anything, rather than uh, a place that people would aspire to go. Mm. Yeah, I think we're advertising now for associate now, and not many people have applied. Uh, why would they? <laughs> Unless you've got a calling. And yes, I, I think there's a cultural aspirational thing in it. Uh, I think also people don't aren't aware of the benefits. We, we, we walk a fine line between highlighting the need in these areas, but also putting people off. We, t- we yeah. make some places sound like it's a war zone when it's not. Some mm. of these communities are the friendliest, warmest communities that people have ever lived in. We've got a woman who was brought up in London, middle-class woman, who, whose dad was a pastor, and she's moved on to the council estate. She loves it. She's never felt so safe and welcomed in her, in her, in her whole life. She's a single mum, and the whole street look out for her because of that. So there's a danger in promoting the needs that we – Mm. Funders want to hear uh, sub stories because they want to give the money where it's most needed. So people, I don't want to say lie, but elaborate on the the difficulties, and then that helps you get funding. But it puts people off wanting to join you, doesn't it? So, <laughs> absolutely. I think you know it's interesting. That I've thought a lot about this, and you know, the, the I think sometimes the hard aspect, and you've touched on this, the hard aspect we think is, oh, it, that area is going to be hard. 
when I, I, that area is going to be hard. Whereas actually, the area is actually probably going to be okay. It's the hard is me sacrificing comfort mm. or me sacrificing something that I think I need to aspire to. When actually, you know, it's interesting. I remember you've mentioned them before, and I think I've mentioned this many times. Dai Hanke said once, I heard him speak, and he said, Jesus has called us to carry crosses, not cushions. And that just stuck with me for years in the sense that actually what is hard is me dying to self and in all different contexts. And, and in this context of ministry and planting churches, the hard aspect is, is at times, sometimes not the place. It's actually my own heart in making that decision. So that's great. Great, great stuff. Dan, I think you've got a question, haven't you, about Ian's podcast and what he's trying to do with that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've loved listening in, actually. Um, and I was just wondering, well, I think I know the answer, but I'd love you to talk a bit about why you started a podcast, um, who you'd like to listen to it, and um, yeah, what maybe even what you've learned through it. Yeah, so I think I started it initially for a bit of sanity during lockdown. Uh, I live in a house dominated by females, so the only opportunity to speak to men was via Zoom. So I thought, if I'm spending hours on Zoom, uh, I might as well do a, a podcast over Record it. it. <laughs> uh, but for me, a lot of the podcasts, Christian podcasts in particular, are done by people. It's either very academic, aimed at explaining a difficult doctrine, or very serious and stuffy, which like puts me off. Anyway, you can discuss deep theological truths without being boring, can't you? <laughs> so I just thought I'd like to create something that I would enjoy listening to, and I'd like to listen to some people who I I would enjoy listening to too. So person of it was personally, uh, mm. I'd like to create something that I, I would enjoy and people from my background would enjoy listening to, but also okay. provide a resource. Uh, a, a lot of people hear me speak about my ministry for half an hour or an hour, but you can't mm. give a good reflection of what it's like. So if I thought mm. I could put a different topic up each week, mm. people could listen to something that might be interesting to them, mm. and, and then it might encourage them to listen to another topic that they wouldn't have listened to originally. So it's basically to promote the need of the work in the north of England uh, mm. and also provide resources for people who are ministering within the north of England. That's uh, great. Well, I hope there's like a wider appeal as well, but primarily we weren't hitting, trying to hit Christianity as a whole. It's specifically people with an interest in our type of work. Mm. Ian, you've, you've clearly got, you know, obviously you're a pastor, but it's obvious in this interview, you've got a heart for the church and you obviously have um, have a conviction that the church is is the vehicle by which the hope of Jesus is, is shared in, in communities. Thinking of the UK as a whole, what would your dream be for the UK church? For diversity, which mm. doesn't mean diversity in the pews, but means diversity in the pulpit and in the, the leadership nationally, uh, the seminaries. Um, yeah, we, we, we're not seeing that. It's a year since George Floyd and, there was so much fuss by the white middle-class church, me included. I class myself as middle-class now as much as <laughs> middle-class people will deny that. <laughs> I, 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 my community see me as white middle-class. So, uh, yeah, make a big fuss, but it's a year on, and we can use COVID as an excuse, but what actual things have changed within our churches and in our, in our seminaries? Uh, 
the class structure. Our I was speaking to a to a couple of pastors a few weeks ago, and they were talking about what's needed in an elder if we're looking for elder. I said, well, do you, does anyone ever check the gifts in hospitality? That's one of the uh, qualifications for eldership. When was the last time have you had someone on for tea? But no, we'll check what seminary they went to or how many degrees they've got or who trained them. And for me, I'd like to see a church that was governed by biblical qualification over academic. And then maybe we wouldn't have these horror stories of abuse that's going on throughout the church. So we've got to hold our hand up. We can't can't be shocked and horrified at leaders failing when we're employing them because of their academic qualifications ahead of their (laughs) biblical qualifications. So as a church, members, we we need to hold our hands up and think, actually, why are we appointing this pastor? And why have we let this other person go? And I think that would, uh, yeah, I I think if we we changed our view on what makes a good leader to a biblical one, we'd see that diversity naturally happening within the church where we'd see more people with regional accents taking the stage nationally or people of different ethnicities. Uh, For me now, I'm I'm conscious we've set up an organisation called Venice Ministries. We're looking to plant churches in the north of England. Everyone involved is white. Yet where we are, I've got an excuse because we're 95% white working class in our town, but the north of England isn't. So I'm reaching Mm -hmm. out to uh, black and ethnic minority Christian leaders saying, look, can you help me? We want to reach everyone in the north of England. How can we encourage black pastors and planters to come and join us? How can we encourage Asian? Uh, I think America is, is leading the way at the moment. Far from perfect. And and a lot of these black pastors, I spoke with John and Wachekwa on the podcast uh, last week, and, and, and they've set up an organisation called the Creek Collective, which I think we should look at these and think, how can we help our black pastors and planters mm. develop something similar in the UK. So mm. uh, acknowledging that we are different, that people from different classes, different academic abilities, different uh, tones of skin, we are very different. We're all equal as men and women in the mm. Lord as human beings, but we're different in our experiences and mm. in our giftings. And let's have a church that I spoke on this uh, a couple of years ago about the manifold wisdom of God. This is what is amazing. I well up, you know, I'm an emotional guy, but to see that, that is my dream, to see this uh, multi-layered, multicultural, multi-ethnicity church shocking not only the human race who's looking for diversity, we're showing what true diversity looks like, but we shock the spirit world. Angels are amazed at God's wisdom and how he brings Jew and Gentile together, rich and poor. And, it, and it's not just having us together, but it being equal and, and showing equity in that. So probably a very long-winded <laughs> answer to your question, but that that is my dream. And whether mm-hmm. we see that in my age or not, we will see it in eternity to come. So praise God for that. But let's, I think we have a responsibility to speed it up on earth before we see it in heaven. Oh, man. I did a, I did a, um, a few years ago, I had a month to do a sort of study project, and I did it on that. Ephesians 3.10, that manifold wisdom, polypoikilos, I think is about the one Greek word I know, but it's um, where I remember at least. Um, listen, you, you've got big plans. You've got big ideas. You're looking to be a godly husband and a dad and a pastor. You're, you're a podcaster. Mm. Um, 
how do you keep going? What, how do you structure your week? Um, how do you, yeah, um, not just crash and burn? Yeah, badly. Uh, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> really badly. I don't practice what I preach. Uh, a, a lot of the stuff I do in the early hours, I've got a bit of insomnia, so that helps. Okay. Okay. A lot of what I do in the middle of the night is bad, so I redo it again in the morning when I fuck up. <laughs> but what I'm aiming to do, COVID's been a blessing to me because I think I was heading to burnout before COVID, uh, and and it's put things into perspective for me. And uh, ministry had become an idol to me. Uh, this culture war that I was fighting in the church had become an idol to me, and and, and I was probably focused more on problems than on on solutions. Uh, yeah, so COVID has come in. It's put in a lot of perspectives. So now uh, spending time with my wife and kids praying and, and seeing them as my priority in the home. Uh, waste of time having 20 converts in the church if your, your kids aren't saved. So that's my, my main thing. Uh, resting. I've, I've been able to rest, which I found difficult. Now I'm starting to enjoy it a little too much. So when COVID's over, <laughs> I probably won't be as productive. But uh, that might not be a bad thing. Uh, but also reading again, spending time reading books for enjoyment as well, where I was reading a lot for study, but not not for my soul. Yeah. So uh, I, I've started reading a lot more and uh, listening to audio books and, and just basically chilling out, trying to be happy and, and showing more joy and less anger. <laughs> no, I'm with you on that one in terms of reading more in lockdown, um, reading more for my soul than just to get a sermon out. So what sort of books then have been a really, have done that for you? What what books have you been reading that have done that for you that could be of encouragement to people, whether that's for ministry or just for your soul, bro? Yeah, so before I was saved, I used to read John Grisham all the time, you know, just novels. And I've got a bit stale in my preaching. And I'm not saying that John Grisham was the answer to bad preaching, but... <laughs> <laughs> But, but reading like fiction is, is I think, yeah, really yeah. helpful. Yeah. You know what I mean, and yeah, uh, helpful with illustrations and and uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to read, uh, yeah, more fiction. Uh, but I think a book that I've read really helpful was Reading Wild Black, which has helped me because I've been so concerned with people not hearing my voice that I stopped listening to other people's and I think that's a big danger for people who mm. any mm. anyone really who's struggling in any area if they feel unlistened to the danger is mm. you don't listen to anyone else so that mm. reading while black by Esau Macaulay I recommend anyone to read that it doesn't just help with race and ethnicity but it helps just to look at the world through other people's lenses uh, and how to think by Alan Jacobs is another book which helped me to, mm. to think where we all think when somebody does something crazy we think well that's just not logical and it might not be to us but it is often to them we all think that what we do is is logical but it's not it's based on our desires and worldview so it's logical mm. to our desires and worldview and and maybe it's not so that is helpful to understanding other people's sin uh, there's a great example of a world-class basketball player who uh, changed the way he, he threw the ball because people would mock him for throwing like a girl. And uh, he didn't score as many baskets by changing his shot. And and people were like, well, that's a crazy thing to do. You, you could have been the best. He said, well, I was the best anyway, with or without that shot. 
But his ambition wasn't to get the most baskets, it was to sleep with the most women. So his motivation for being a good basketball was to be a basketball player, was to be attractive to women. So in his head, getting less, wow. less baskets, but looking more manly, was the most logical thing to do, even though it wouldn't be to us. So that has really helped me to understand probably some of my past mistakes, but other people's mistakes that I'm, I'm pastoring with. Uh, wow. And I think my, my go-to, which I, I read annually, is the pastor's justification, which is wow. is, is, is like a cuddle and a kick in the teeth at the same time. <laughs> a, a cuddle and a kick in the teeth. I like that one. That is brilliant. I'm having that one. <laughs> um, Ian, you've been really honest and open with us. Um, you've kind of hinted at a few struggles as well. What's your um, what's your internal monologue when you're struggling? What do you say to yourself? How do you re-gospel yourself? I think that's 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 the problem. I, I need other people to do that. I think my my, my go-to is is. It's justification. <laughs> and uh, having a good mentor in Mes McConnell. Yeah. He's like he's like the pastor's justification. He'll he'll give me a cuddle and a kick in the teeth depending on what I need. So I think I'm- Mes couldn't reach your teeth. Mes couldn't reach your teeth. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's he, he, head, he'll head headbutt you in the knees. <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably. Uh no, I think that's what that, that's what I've died out for. Uh, mm. I, I think feeling isolated for such a long time, I've learned that a lot of what I tell myself, uh, your heart is deceitful above all things, isn't it? And I'd often use the gospel to justify stuff. So uh, having a wife, like my wife, you've met her, Robbo, uh, mm. she doesn't suffer fills gladly, especially her husband. So, yeah, she speaks into my life. And I think, uh, yeah, what, what I found is... Uh, got this little book a devotional book it's based on i forget what it's called it's based on the heidelberg catechism and it do you know what I, I love reading the word and i'd read massive chunks and 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 think that was beneficial which it is but i think just reading a couple of verses a day and and meditating on that i've, I've learned to meditate over covid as well which i never did i thought more was better but like taking these smaller chunks and just thinking about them and letting the lord speak to my heart and I think this book is really good at, at convicting you <laughs> when you need convicting again. I think you need a balance, don't you? Uh, mm. I'd often go for advice off people who tell me well, what I'd want to hear, and I'm learning mm. to go to books and resources now that tell me what I need to hear. Mm. Bro, we want to pray for you, and but before we do that, I've, I have got one question for you. <laughs> do you still have your dog? Oh, mate, no, died. Oh, yeah. you're joking oh, me. four-year-old, bruv. Oh. Uh, leukemia, would you believe it? The rarest ever. Oh, yeah. what, what is it with Vizzlers? The break you have. Oh, I know. So for yeah. those who are listening, the reason I ask is, yeah. is because Ian and I share the, the love of, uh, of the same breed of dog, Hungarian Vizzlers. I have one, and obviously he had one. I am so sorry <laughs> to ask you about your dog. He's died. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> It was unreal on the last day. The day we, he he was daft as a brush. He I know lost all his weight. Lost he he, he was on death's door. It was not last Christmas. The Christmas before, the vet sent him home and said, "Look, we'll put him down after Christmas." Uh, 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 and I, I just saw him. Just I thought I can't wait after Christmas just so we have a nice Christmas. But I took him for his last walk, 
and he, he, he had hours left to live, and yet he was running mm. around like a lunatic. You know, <laughs> he, had, he had no energy. But as soon as he saw that ball, he was off. He was but, off. They're nuts, aren't they? Yeah. I'm sorry to open that wound. Up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bro. Yeah, I, I've moved on. I've got a staffy now, bro. Don't worry. <laughs> I've got a staffy. <laughs> Yeah, we've got this uh, staffy pitbull casting from Kendall. He's a lunatic, but in yeah, different he ways, he's, he's he's less energetic. Uh, yeah. yeah, but he just fits with the stereotype of the fat northern tattooed <laughs> <laughs> countless hurt man, doesn't he? Well, that's right. Well, listen, we want to pray for you. So, <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah. We want to. We, we want to. <laughs> We want to pray for you. So are there any specific, obviously you're doing a lot. So are there yeah. any specific things that Dan's going to pray for you, but yeah. also that our listeners can be praying in the weeks and months ahead? Yeah. If you could pray for the trauma of losing my dog last year. <laughs> 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 <Loving a nightmare. laughs> don't, don't, don't ask about my parents, Robbo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, seriously we're, we're, we're looking to take on an associate pastor okay. work alongside Nathan I'm looking to step aside from uh, the, the lead pastor role and, and just be an elder and uh, focus on, on, on some other things planting and church places and stuff so yeah if you pray that we get the right man that the, the Lord will put it on whoever's right to come's heart and that they will uh, come and serve Middlesbrough be a, a mm. fit. Uh, pray for my wife. Uh, my wife has scoliosis and uh, crumbling vertebrae, and so she's in a lot of pain at the moment. It's uh, nerve pain with, with her back. Uh, fortunately, it wasn't diagnosed until she was an adult, so they can't do the operation. But uh, yeah, so she's in a bit of pain. And my daughter Hannah, she's uh, she's a student nurse in the first placement on her first year. Was on the COVID ward. Uh, so she's experienced quite a bit of uh, death and suffering, which has been good for her faith, and she's been a, a blessing to the other nurses, but it's been uh, stressful for her as well. So mm. my family, uh, my youngest daughter, Esther, uh, we homeschool her. If we could pray for her, uh, for the group, uh, known and loving the Lord. Mm. And then for the church, basically, just that we see it, growing love and knowledge of, the ch- uh, of, of Jesus, and that we'll see some salvations and baptism. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for um, Ian's mum in that kitchen that time, uh, mm. asking whether she could pray for him and pointing him to you. Um, thank you for all the work that you've done in him since then. Thank you for um, him being able to see the reality of his sin and the reality of his need of a saviour. And thank you for the all the good things that you're doing in him and through him um, in Middlesbrough and beyond. Um, Lord, we do pray for the church there. We pray um, we pray for baptisms this next year. Simple as that. We long that there would be people who for the first time bow the knee to the Lord Jesus um, and follow him. Um, would, would your people open their mouths and uh, speak of him and would um, people see what he's like through the way that they interact and the, the salt and light that they are? And we pray for them as they seek to recruit an associate pastor and as they reshuffle the leadership there a bit as well. Please, uh, maybe even someone listening to this, would you lay it on their heart to apply and would you give wisdom to all those involved? Um, please, would you raise up the right person who will, who will be complementary to the current team, um, who will bring the, the gifts that they need um, 
they'll thank you that you're sovereign and we can trust you. Uh, please, please provide there. And we pray for the family as well. We pray for Ian's wife, particularly when she is um, in uh, particular pain. Um, might she know your comfort um, in that time? Might she turn to you rather than from you and help him to know how best to love her and support her and um, uphold her? And we pray for his daughters as well. And we pray for his um, eldest, Zahanna, who's just um, on placement and had a really difficult year. Lord, thank you for all that you've been teaching her. Um, I guess chucking in at the deep end, but thank you for the blessing that she's been to other nurses. Thank you that it's it's solidified and helped her in her faith. Um, might you use her in the place that you've put her? Um, and for Esther too, um, Lord, would she grow up to know and to love the Lord Jesus? Um, and we pray for we pray for his kids as we pray for our own. We long that they would go on and surpass us um, in the ministry that you've entrusted to us. Would they go and do bigger and be- better and more glorious things that point people to the Lord Jesus? In his precious name we pray. Amen. 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 It's been an absolute treat. Absolute treat to have you on. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your laughter. Thank you for your honesty. Um, Thank you for saying important but hard things as well about the state of the UK church in in all kinds of ways. We really appreciate that. Um, But yeah, it's been a a treat to be able to speak to you. Thank you. Thank you, man. God bless you, man. Cheers, Robert. Cheers, Dan. Thanks so much for joining us. You've been listening to the Acts Me Nine Europe podcast, conversations on church planting in Europe. Do check out the show notes for links to some of the things we've been speaking about. And we'd love it if you would subscribe and share this with your friends. And join us again in two weeks' time.